Well, good morning to each one. It is a blessing to be here with you. I want to welcome each one to this time where we continue our worship and we continue it in the Word. I want to thank each one for the participation this morning with in the breaking of bread, and it was a blessing to again look at our Lord and to see Him revealed in His Word, and even as the hymns pointed to His Word, we saw how He was great and good and glorious. Well, we want to continue this morning, and we're going to... We're not going to go back to Ephesians today. We're going to Luke 16. And I've been contemplating this passage of Scripture for a few weeks. And it seems as though there's a burden that keeps growing on my heart to, to speak this from this passage. And <clears throat> it is... It is relevant to all of us this morning, but especially as we contemplate our life. Uh, here, a, here a few weeks ago, we had a, a men's uh, breakfast, prayer breakfast, and Brother Sam, Brother Joe did a good job with that. And Paul Washer was the speaker that we listened to that morning. And one of the things that he said is you, you, you sometimes see this this picture or this painting of a monk and he's holding a skull a man's skull in his hand you think well that's a morbid thing why would he do that 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 have to do with some witchcraft but no he's he's contemplating his mortality he's contemplating his life he's thinking about when he is going to be where this man in eternity in the state that this man now is. And he's thinking about what's important right now. What is going on in life right now, in my life, that's leading me toward this place where I need to contemplate the reality of my death. And what's in the way of my understanding clearly what God would have for me to be with Him in glory. Sometimes we're confronted with death. And death brings this reality to us that our lives are short. Our time is finite. It's set in a frame. We, we see the... We go to any graveyard and we can walk through there and we can see the tombstones and there's a, there's a birth date and there's a dash and there's a death date. That dash is the life. And I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time you contemplated your mortality? When was the last time you thought about your life in relation to the reality of their coming death? All of us are going to die. If we're not going to die here, we're going to drop this mortal body as we meet Christ in the air. And so, this morning as we consider this, turn with me to Luke 16 and let us begin reading here in verse 14. 
I'm going to jump back to verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Over the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to there to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. He said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send to him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. May the Lord bless his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, we come before you, Father, and we thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. As we contemplate this passage of Scripture, Father, it is with a bit of trembling 
and fear. Knowing, Lord, that you will call every one of us to give an account of the things we have done in our body. And that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that one day you will pronounce either, well done, you good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, or you will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Father, we realize that you've given us time here. You've given us a window of opportunity. You've given us knowledge of you. You've given us much to corroborate that knowledge with nature and with your providence. Lord, I ask this morning for something that only your spirit can do. Lord, I ask that trust in you completely would be strengthened or born into our hearts. I pray for those who do not know you this morning, Lord, that as this word would sink in, Father, that this word would do its work, changing the heart, drawing the soul to seek you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all you have done for us. And we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word for its intended use, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we begin here with Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, you're going to love one or you're going to love the other. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve your money. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve yourself. You're going to live for him or you're going to live for you. He says, you cannot have it both ways. And Jesus cuts it clearer than anybody else in the, pa- in the pages of Scripture does. When he says, you, you either have your life here, and you live it here, or you have it there, and keep it there. You lose it here to gain it there, or you get it, get it here to lose it there. Jesus said, he that saves his life shall lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And so when he comes to him, to these people, when he talks to these people, he responds to them. Notice what, they, who, what, their, intent, what their heart was like. Verse 14, he says, Pharisees, they were lovers of money and they were scoffing at Jesus. Listen, let me just tell you, if money possesses you, Christ is of no value to you. If money possesses you, Christ is of no value to you. You will deride and scoff Him because money and Christ do not make sense with one another in in their ultimate forms. Christ never says that money is evil in and of itself. Never in this passage does he say that that it's wrong to have money. He doesn't even say it's wrong to be rich. But if money possesses you, friend, if money has got you a hold of you, you can have nothing, and money can possess you. 
You can be poor and be possessed with mammon. You can have almost nothing to your name and lust and long and hanker after the things of this world and the money and the power that it gives and the riches that come with it. You can hanker after that stuff and have nothing to your name. And your heart is still where the Pharisees are. Now notice what he says about them. Verse 15. And we want to look at this in the, in its, in a, in the first point. And that is justification. He says, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. One of the biggest problems that we have as human beings is that we want to be liked. We want to be appreciated. We want to be accepted as right, accepted as good, accepted as just. And he says, you are the ones who, he says, you're seeking your justification before men. I don't care what all the people in the world have to say about us, about you, about me. If God says something different, all that they have to say is nothing. You see, Jesus is pointing them not to the fact that they were doing everything all wrong, but that their, in their hearts they were seeking to be approved of by men rather than seeking the approval of God. These people knew the law. These people knew the prophets. They knew the commentary to the law. They knew what every word meant. They were brought up in school to study this in depth. There's no, there is no misunderstanding in their heart, in their minds, about what the law was saying. But they pursued it with a heart to please themselves. They never pursued it with a true heart to seek God. And brothers and sisters, of all the things that, that we have to deal with, one of the things that blinds the eyes of the people who have been around the, the Word of God all their lives is religious pride. Religious pride will blind your eyes from seeing the truth of Jesus Christ. It will blind you. It will make you feel like you don't have to have, you don't need what He has to offer. It will make you think that you're okay where you are. It will make you believe that if you could just go along and have everybody think well of you, then you're okay. They were, they were concerned that the people would, were not liking them. But notice what he says, God knows your hearts. God understands what's in your heart and what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. God hates the things that the flesh loves. Because sin came into the world and death through sin and so sin, death and death have passed to all men because all 
have sinned. It is the issue of sin in our hearts. Do not think, friends, that just because you haven't killed anybody or just because you haven't been as bad as, and you could, you could say Hitler, Stalin, you know, whoever you want to put down there, just because we've not done what these men did does not mean, friends, that, that we are now approved of by God. You know, if we were to, to look at good works, the Pharisees would top our list. They fasted twice a week. They gave tithes of everything that they owned all the way down to the, the uh, herbs and spices that were in their, in their cupboards. They were teachers of the law, rigorous teachers of the law. They believed they were the separate ones from even God's people. That word Pharisee means separatist. They were the set apart from the set apart. They were a, and, and they literally started this group of Pharisees because they wanted to be holy unto the Lord. It was a right and a good cause. But it began to be centered around men. It be centered around them. And it came down to the fact that what they were doing was an abomination to God. He hated it. And so we notice that he says that that the, the law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, at the end of John's ministry, the law and the prophets finished their course. They were done with what they were intended to do. They were intended to portray Christ and set forth Christ. And until that point, they did that with clarity, with boldness. But this... From then on, it's the kingdom of heaven being preached. Christ preached and he would say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he's bringing to them the kingdom of heaven. And he said, when the kingdom of heaven is open, he said, the people that really know their need of God are pressing into it. In fact, that word pressing in our language doesn't bear what the Greek does, it means a violent, forceful pressing. In Matthew, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And what is he saying? He's just simply saying these people have come to a place where they're in absolute panic, if you please. They're in a place of desperation to find the truth. And they're coming to the kingdom of God because they're desperate. Have you ever tried to rescue a drowning person? When they get desperate, they'll take you under, even if you're a good swimmer. Because they're desperate to stay alive. And these people were desperate in that kind of way. To, to know the truth and to come to peace with God. Now let's look at what he says. Heaven and earth is going to pass away before the smallest mark 
in the writing of the law will go unfulfilled. Meaning that it's not going to happen. That every bit of God's law is going to be fulfilled. One of the issues that they had was divorce. Rampant divorce. Divorce where if the wife didn't make the supper correctly for her husband, he had grounds to divorce her in some schools of thought there. If she displeased him in some way, he could write her a bill of divorcement. And that's why Jesus says plainly, God, God set forth marriage. And God makes marriage to be according to His principles, not according to our likes and dislikes. And so therefore, whoever is doing this is sinning against God. Now, He applies His his teaching with a lesson, with a, with a story. Justification with God is not the same thing as justification before men. Therefore, being justified, we have peace by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer, Old Testament, New Testament, has come to God because they were justified by their faith in Him. It was not just, it was not just a, a faith they produced, but it was a faith worked in them. A faith that God worked in them. Faith in the biblical, in, in, in biblical faith, saving faith, comprises of three things. If there's a three-legged stool that faith that comprises faith. Number one, you have to have the information. And that's what he says, the law and the prophets. The law told about God, they, they set forth his desires and his intentions, his commandments, his precepts, his judgments. It set them forth in clear order. There was information that they knew about God. But number two, there has to be a yes to that, to that. There has to be us saying, yes, that's true, that's right, before faith can be born. The thing I want to say is these men, these Pharisees had those two things. They knew the law and they said yes to it. But there's one thing that they lacked, and that was the only part that they lacked was what only the Holy Spirit could do in their lives. And that is produce trust. Produce trust. And if you don't have those three components, you don't have true faith. There is no such thing as faith in faith. Faith has, has words, notitia, notes information it has agreement yes this is the truth and in jesus's words the devils believe and tremble you've just qualified only to be a demon at that point but you must have the third part where there is a complete trust in god that you will rest your complete life upon his hands 
and in His law and in His Word. And that's why these people were pressing into it. Because there was a faith that was worked in their hearts that was a fiduciary faith. It was a trusting faith. It was a, it was a faith that came bringing everything and dropping it on Christ and laying it on Christ and resting it there and leaving it there. And so Jesus here begins the story. There was a certain rich man. This rich man, he doesn't say, I'm telling you a parable now of a, of a, of a, of a story to illustrate my point. I believe, many believe, that this actually happened. And so he begins here, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. I want us to note the fact that this man looked good on outward appearances. This man was rich. He was rich. He had it all his way. And, and if, you, if you want to look at somebody who you want to be an example to you or you want to look up to somebody, you look at somebody who's successful, right? You look at somebody who's rich, who's done it well, who's made over and above the expectation. He was rich. He had done it well. To the Pharisees' eyes, this man had a blessing from the Lord because they believed that riches were a blessing from God. And they can be. But this man, that's the only blessing he had. That's all he knew. He didn't. He didn't know the truth about his riches. And when there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. You see, that in reality is what a Christian is. He, he sells over what he has. And everything that he has is with an open hand so that he may please the Lord alone. So there was a certain rich man. And he was not only rich, but he knew how to dress rich. This whole thing of dressing in purple was an, an elitist dress. There were only... Very few people that could afford purple in this day. And the purple that he dressed in was that which reminded them of royalty. And in fact, it was often reserved for royalty. And he fared sumptuously, or he lived luxuriously, the Greek would say. He lived luxuriously every single day. This you know, we may, we may say that, you know, we'll go on a special time on a, on a cruise or on a special trip or on a, uh, on a weekend and we'll live, you know, we'll live nice for a weekend. This man did everything every day. That's how wealthy he was. But we notice right alongside the wealthy man is the beggar. 
But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. This man, Lazarus, was a nobody. In fact, in the Jewish, in Jewish culture, this man was a shame. He was a blot on society. They had, a, they had an honor-shame culture, even more so than our culture today. This man was, was a despicable shame to them. He, he would sit and beg for the food that was dropped off the table of the rich man. And he was, not only was he poor and had nothing, but he was sick. His body was full of sores. And the dogs came and licked his sores. This, this, is, this is the worst, the lowest of the low to the Jews. A dog was a despicable thing. They did not have pets, pet dogs. But these dogs were feral dogs. And they hated these dogs. They were mangy, disease-infested dogs. So this man, in man's eyes, was unjustifiable. This man would surely be able to somewhere get a job, man. Somewhere he should be able to help himself up. But I want us to note something. What we see on the outside does not speak to what's going on on the inside. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly the way it is today. We can look good. We can have it all right. We can have it in order. We can live like kings. In fact, if we will just take our lives for a second... And think about our lives compared to all the lives of the rest of the people in other third world nations. We live like kings in America. The poorest of us is far better off than they are. We don't understand what it is to struggle every day just to survive. We don't understand what it is to take every mercy we can get just to make it. And Jesus is saying here, not because he was poor and not because he was sick and not because he was miserable and not because he was in desperate need, but because he was, his faith was in God. The thing changed for him. Both men, their roles reversed when they died. So it was that the beggar died. And far as this earth knows, all we could see is this man died. We don't even know if he was buried. We don't know did they did they take him out to the place they called Gehenna where there was a constant trash fire. Uh, refuse was thrown out there. Anything that people wanted to throw away, and there was constant burning and fire, and the dogs were often around there. We don't know what, what they did with him. 
But I want you to know. He was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. A man who lived in abject poverty here got royal entrance into the kingdom of God there. I want us to note something. What the Christian receives after he dies outshines what he ever had here in ways that's incomparable. What this man had here on earth was nothing. And he knew he had nothing. And he knew he needed Christ. And when he died, he got an angel escort to heaven. He was brought in in royalty. Now, as far as we know from this earth, it says that the rich man also died. And he was buried. We know that he was at least buried. Now, it wouldn't surprise me, as one evangelist said, that some preacher foolishly stood up and preached this man into heaven, or tried to. All you have to do in America today to be, to go to heaven is die. Once a person dies, he's automatically in heaven, everybody says. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says it's the condition of your heart. We got to go back to what God says, but what he says here in verse 15. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And it's, that's the whole issue, friend. The heart of the matter is the issue. Listen. He comes to death and he's confronted with reality. Lazarus lived in reality. He lived in reality of this earth. God said, told Adam and Eve, the moment you eat of that fruit, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Lazarus knew death almost every day. He stared it in the face. The rich man did everything he could to cushion himself from death. He had plenty of food. He had plenty of clothes. He had everything he wanted. And it's a very good possibility that when that beggar sat at his gate, he had to trip over him every time he went somewhere. He had a reminder, a stark reminder at his gate of what reality is in this life. 100 out of 100 die. And I want to ask you this morning, have you contemplated your life? Do you see the things of this earth and count them as dung that you may win Christ? That's what Paul said he did. Do you count them what they are? They're trash. The philosophies of this world and the things they try to build us up with are useless in the kingdom of God. And you might follow them here. 
They will dump you in hell there. So let's not think this morning that because man approves of our lives, we're safe, we're good. You can be preaching this morning. Everybody loves you and everybody thinks you're, well, you're doing well. You could be lost and preaching. You can know it and you can say yes to it and hide all the while hide from people that you really don't trust. Christ. Preachers have done it. I want to tell you that the only way to life this morning is to trust Christ. You must trust Him. It's not life for just here. It's life eternal. It's life eternal. So we find them both in eternity. In verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 23. The rich man leaves this earth in his pomp and in his wealth. And when he lifts up his eyes, he's in hell. And when he lifts up his eyes, he sees Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. What is that? What is that referring to? Listen, the Jews held up Abraham as their father. He was the icon of faith to them. He was the one whom you would, if you would say anybody was was for sure a believer in God, it was Abraham. In fact, Moses records that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In fact, that's how every believer comes into the kingdom of God. He believes. He not only says, understands the truth about God, he not only says yes in his mind, but he puts his trust in him. There was, a, there was once a man who stretched a tightrope across the Niagara Falls, and he pushed a wheelbarrow from one side to the other, on this rope. He came to the other side and he put, piled it full of bricks and blocks and he pushed it back across. And then he said, I want to ask you, how many of you believe I could put somebody in this, in this wheelbarrow and push them across? And everybody said, yeah, I think you could do it. He said, I want to ask you who would volunteer to go. Sometimes... That's the way we look at Christ. We'll say, yes, this is who he is. I think he could take anybody to heaven. I think he could free anybody from their sins. I think he could have, I think he has everything going his way. I think he has conquered everything, that, that, that every obstacle. And I would trust him anywhere. I think you could trust him anywhere, but they won't get in the wheelbarrow. They will not trust him. They will not put their confidence in him. I want to say this right alongside of what I just said. That unless the Holy Spirit continues to work in your life to bring you faith, you'll continue to doubt Him. 
It is a work of God that brings a person from that state to a state of gladly fighting people to get to the wheelbarrow to jump in it, if you please. Fighting to get into the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, in Christ, that we are saved, friends. Let's not think for a minute that just because we know so much and because we agree with it, that that's all it takes. We've got to get in Christ. Let's notice what he says. Abraham is afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He sees this. And that literally means, gives a, a picture of reclining. They're laying down at the table. They're eating. And when the Jews would, would eat, they would recline at the table. And, and he was, there's Lazarus in the place of honor. He's, he's the honored guest there. In Abraham's bosom, if you please. And I want you to notice the clarity with which, which the rich man saw him. He understood who Abraham was and he understood who Lazarus was and he understood that Lazarus was in a place of honor and safety and confidence. Lazarus was at rest. And as he As he looks up there, though he has changed positions in so many ways, his arrogance and his pride are still with him. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. See where I'm at. Now I'm going to call on you. I'll call on you now. I'm in trouble. He wouldn't give Abraham... He wouldn't give the Word of God its due value. But now he says, have mercy on me. That part of his theology is right. I believe that in hell, people have an understanding of their need for mercy. They understand that they must, unless God has mercy on them, they perish. He says, send Lazarus if he could just dip his finger, the tip of his finger, in a little bit of water just to cool my tongue for a split second. If, he could, if I could just get that little bit of relief. So I'm tormented in this flame. I don't believe we understand. I don't believe there's any Torment on earth that compares to what this rich man saw and experienced right here and is experiencing to this day. You may repent there, but it won't save you there. You may see your need of Christ there, but you can't get him there. This is not the place of God's mercy. This is the place of God's wrath. Hell is an eternal place where God pours out His wrath forever. 
And if we understand that, and if we comprehend that, it changes our thinking about our lives, doesn't it? Not only for us, but for those we know are lost. Those of our family and friends and co-workers and so on. But friends, we've only got a window of time. And it's the dash between the day of our birth and the day of our death. Abraham looked at him and he said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good, your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. Abraham says, I want you to think back, rich man. And I want you to think back to the, to the reality that in, in your lifetime you received all these good things. They were just not things you earned, but God gave them to you. And what did you do with them? You were comforted for a time there, but that was the best life you ever had or ever will have. Now you are tormented, and he is comforted, and we could say forever. I think we have to understand that. This is our short home, friends. This is, the, this, is the, this is just the finite. Our long home is our eternal home. And so when he says that you are, that he is comforted, and you are now tormented. He's saying you get what you lived for. He gets the reward of trusting the one he trusted. In fact, this is the deception. That man has always had to deal with. That what looks good to the eye today. What feels good to the flesh. What exalts the pride of man. Is what's going to send him to hell. And unless we are careful. About what we do with this. We will be deceived. The devil knows how to make the bad look really good. And he knows how to make the, look, the good look bad to the natural man. Just because the devil does this does not mean that this is the way it is. Now let's look at what else he says. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to come to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. Nobody leaves hell for heaven. And nobody falls out of heaven into hell. I believe with all my heart this morning that God has placed that gulf permanently, eternally, because that is reality. God is holy. And he is, he, he is not going to, in the end, he cannot tolerate any sin. 
And we are sinners by nature. And it is why we need our Lord Jesus Christ, friends. Because this gulf is an eternal gulf. It's an impossible barrier. We say it in the South, you can't get there from here. And that's the literal truth. You can't get there. From, can't get to heaven from hell. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. There's no passing back and forth. I want you to note that one of the things that this rich man did not do is he did not ask God, why am I here? Why am I here? I believe in that day God's going to shut every mouth. Everybody who gets, who, who is put into hell is going to know they got there because God was just and right in, what he, in how He judged. Everybody that is in heaven knows one thing. But by the grace and mercy and compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ, there would I be. And so I ask you this morning, Are you reasoning against God? Are you fighting against Him this morning? Are you struggling against His Word? His Word is given to you because He loves you. He calls out sin because He loves you. He gives you the reality in His Word because He loves you. He's given you an understanding of truth so that you can know Him. So I call you this morning to consider your life. Consider your life. Are you abiding in the truth? Are you living in the truth? Or have you heaped up all kinds of things around you to pad you from the truth. That's going to that's gonna condemn your soul on the day of judgment. That's going to be the reason God has a right motive in sending the unbeliever to hell. Now let's go on. He had an arrogant theology in hell. In verse 27, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. He believed that somehow if he could just send Lazarus, he knew he couldn't go. But if he could just send, somehow send Lazarus to go to my father's house and tell my five brothers so they don't come here. Yeah, we say all of a sudden he got evangelistic. Friends, we ought to be evangelistic right now. This is a terrible place. And we ought to think clearly now while we have the time. His reason, his reason was, though misaligned, his thinking was, he was not in some dull out-of-mind experience. The pain was great. 
and the misery was intense. But he, he knew enough to think that I've got five brothers back there that I don't want here. If I could just spare them somehow. And if somehow we could have a miracle. Abraham says, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. I just want to tell you, friends, miracles do not convert people. Extra signs and wonders are not the means to conversion. The Word of God is the means to, to, to be saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We reject the one sign we've been given. And we ask for more. If we just pay attention to the one that's given, I think it would set our hearts straight about the ones that God gives as extras at times. Listen. He says, no, Father Abraham, but one would go to them from the dead. They're going to repent. They'll, they'll, that would be a wonder of wonders. They would fall on their faces and they would repent. Abraham tells them, they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. What Abraham is saying is, a miracle of that magnitude will not save anybody. They will not find themselves more inclined to believe the gospel because someone came back from the dead. They will not be more inclined because some miraculous thing happened in front of their eyes. But he goes back to the fact that the Moses and the prophets are sufficient. They are enough. In fact, they are abundantly enough. In Isaiah, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, you need to start reading this book. You need to start reading this book. And you need to start asking yourself, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? How does he say that I can get into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says in, in Luke 14, he said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive to enter in at that narrow gate. That means fight to get there. Yeah, you won't enter by yourself, but fight to get there. And I believe that the word of God compels us to say something's wrong with this system out here. Something's wrong with the world. I've got to have something else. And even as Christians, this ought to put a fire in our bones. Because the gospel is for today. And there's coming a day when we will not preach the gospel anymore. There's coming a day when the thing is said and done and God has closed the window the day. Of opportunity to come to Him. I want to ask you this morning. 
Are you waiting for God to strike you with something? Right here it is. This is your message from heaven. This word of God is what you must seek. You must seek to know the God who wrote it. In this word is is ample direction and instruction to know him. Do you know him this morning? Does the world press heavily on you, unbeliever? Does the world come in with things that entice your eyes? That tickle your ears, that make you feel good about yourself? All that, friend, all that is just to dull your senses to reality. What Jesus has said to the the scribes and Pharisees here is reality. And so I ask you this morning, when you come to the end of your dash, which place will you be? Will you be lifting up your eyes in hell? Or will you be at rest forever in the kingdom of God? I trust you know this morning. If you don't know, you need to find out. It's a reality that none of us will avoid. Let's pray. Our God, this morning, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the clarity that Jesus teaches with here. I just pray, God, your Holy Spirit, to apply it where nobody can apply it but Him, and that is to the heart. That, Lord, your word would bear fruit. I just pray, Lord, for us, those who know you today, that we would think seriously about our lives. The reality that there are souls dying around us. Lord, for those who don't know you today, I pray that we would think seriously about our lives. And that this time that we have here is short and finite. And that your word is forever settled in heaven. Bless our time together, Lord, that we may glorify you in all that we do and say. Yes, this is in Jesus' name. Amen.